Holder, a comedy podcast at the intersection of faith and popular culture. I'm Sarah. I'm Maeve. Yay, Maeve! How have you been? What have you been up to? I've been doing all right. I uh, finished my first year of Div school, so that Yay. was a big accomplishment. What about you? Thank you so much. Uh, I graduated, so that's exciting. One degree hotter now. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll be going to seminary in the fall. So joining you on that ordination track. We love that. Wouldn't want it any other way. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. Got through your first year to school. You conquered it. It's over. We're done. We're moving forward and we're not looking back. Never look back. We love that. <laughs> so it's it's been a while since we've convened on the pod. Yeah, it's been a while. We have been really busy with school and world events and family things, but we're back. We're back. Uh, we're glad to be we back. back. Yes, we've been in the middle of uh, a global pandemic mm-hmm. and social justice movements mm-hmm. and a lot of change and a lot of worry and anxiety. But you know what? We thought we would bring a little bit of light to that. Yeah. So we're not going to be talking about the pandemic or the current Black Lives Matter movement And this is like coming from a very privileged position. We recognize that. But for us, entertainment is really an escape. And this project specifically is is a passion project. And we want it to be filled with things, you know, that allow us to escape and to not be in the real world for 45 minutes to an hour. So that's why we're not going to be talking about it. That doesn't mean that we don't care. We do. We really care. Black Lives Matter. But just for this episode specifically, we will just be using it to give people and ourselves some escapism and some entertainment, just a time to rest and enjoy some frivolous things. I think that's really apt. And I think our topic for today is one that hopefully will feel really resonant to all of the listeners, all the people out there, and that is Dungeons and Dragons. D&D! We're so excited. Oh my gosh. But yeah, we're ready to get into community, get into looking at a text and creating a world from it, getting into how to act with people and deal with a lot of conflicts. So I don't know, even though it's not, we're not talking about the things that are directly affecting us today, I still feel like D&D is, you know, relevant in some ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think especially for us, since we've been playing it recently, but we are very lucky today to have our dear, dear friend Liv here with us to offer us all her wisdom. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you for being here. Liv is a friend from college. We all went to college together. Um, and she is our wonderful DM, our dungeon master, who yes. has really created the whole world that we're living in and our campaign. And she's doing an excellent job. And we are very lucky to have her as our DM and to have her here right now. Thank you. So, so should good. we get into what D&D is for people who might have heard of it or seen it on Stranger Things, but aren't really sure what it's about. I think that's a great idea. So D&D is a role-playing game and Liv, feel free to jump in whenever you want. You are the DM. You are the expert. (laughs) Um, So it's a role-playing game that was created in the 1970s, 1980s um, in the Midwest and it's focused (laughs) represent. We have all lived in the Midwest at some point. Uh, So I feel very, I was like, this is my kin. (laughs) 
yes those those great lakes you know what i mean uh, yeah. um <laughs> it's a role-playing game focused on exploration character interaction and combat and so you work within kind of these confines of the rules of D&D, character building, the multiverse situation, different spells, different expectations. So you're working within this world, but you also have a lot of flexibility, like how you want to build your character, how you want to interact, um, gods you want to include, the geographic you know, terrain that you're traveling with. So you have a lot of freedom um, to do that. And a lot of your motivations and actions are dependent upon the roll of the dice and what the DM has in store for you. Thank you for that, Maeve. So I think one of the reasons that makes D&D so popular, it's a way for people to connect with each other who may or may not have already known each other before. Just kind of like this episode uh, is a refuge or a respite from stresses in your life. Whatever is going on, you can always go into that world and kind of forget about what's going on. Another thing that is really great about it is it's not like game night that you just play one round of yacht or whatever but it's this commitment that you play every Friday or whatever day it is and it really becomes a part of your life and your your social world and your social interactions. Like Maeve mentioned there's also a lot of world building and storytelling specifically the DMs but also the characters as well are able to construct a narrative you can create whatever world that you want and in the same way that you really get into the game the game like also kind of gets into you and and it's it's definitely like you're doing tango with the game you know yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly and then finally it's just fun there's adventure (laughs) and excitement and who doesn't love adventure and excitement so I think those are like, at least for us, the main reasons as to why D&D is fun to play and other people have continued to play it for decades. I, I think it's really interesting because I feel like in general, there's been kind of this rise in nerd culture or this normalization of it where like superheroes, D&D, card games, board games, this all the culture of it, it's become so much more integrated into everyday life and you see it in popular culture, you see it in mainstream television and movies. I don't want to just credit Stranger Things or like the Big Bang Theory or whatever from that. But I feel like in recent years, especially in the last two decades, there's really been a rise in this of bringing elements of community and storytelling and play, mm-hmm. especially for adults, really at the focus. Yeah, it's it's exciting and it's fun. And, and I don't know that much about the history of D&D. I do know that Maybe at the beginning, there was a little bit of a connection or this fear of um, satanic panic, similar to the fear of witchcraft and wizardry and warlocks. And I'm thinking of Harry Potter, and that's not the same era at all. But um, it's a game that was built a way of creating community, of socializing, of escapism, but also is met with this resistance. So it's cool to see that into our mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not only like a way to tell a a story like within the game, but it can also become a way to tell like a meta story. Like you were saying, like in in Stranger Things, like they use that to kind of explain 
like the greater world. And then another thing that I was thinking of too is that in podcasts, especially like is the same way as like an audio book or like a radio program. I'm thinking specifically of The Adventure Zone by the McElroy brothers. It's like like a serial kind of story, but they're playing a game, but also you're like, they're constructing this whole world and the characters in it. Um, so I think that's another way that like people are are getting into it based off of like what they see in the media. Yeah, and our campaign is very much, I feel like it was a way for us to reconnect um, after college, especially during this time where we're in the middle of a pandemic and we really feel like we needed support and community. Um, and so our campaign is of six women and we do a lot of adventuring, a lot of spider killing, a lot of looking through spooky houses, um, mm-hmm. checking creaky floors, which is just right up our alley. And if you've listened to other episodes, you know that is very, very us. I think first and foremost, it was a way to to engage with a story that was an escape from our current reality, but also implement parts of our reality, some of the danger, the fear, um, the uncertainty, and channel that into a fun means of entertainment. But also for me, one of my biggest motivations was just to reconnect with people that I hadn't that I hadn't talked to in a long time or seen very frequently. Yeah, yeah, it feels very freeing. Should we, so should we get to our section talking to Liv? So Liv, how did you first hear about D&D? In all honesty, I don't know. I have been involved in online fan culture in some capacity since I was 11. Um, And I'm about to be 24. So that's over half my life, which is like kind of weird to think about. So like nerd culture and these sorts of things were kind of always on my radar. Um, So I actually don't remember first hearing about D&D. I remember I first like cracked open a player's handbook in high school to try to make a character for a campaign that never got off the ground. Um, but I feel like it's something that could kind of always been in my awareness and something I always really had wanted to play. What about it like made you want to play it? So in all honesty, like I feel like I never grew out of playing pretend. Like I was still playing like make-believe when I was like 13 years old, like way, way past the age where that's like socially acceptable to do. Um, and I think that's such an unfortunate part of like the kind of mythos of growing up in our culture is that you have to put aside like play and fun, especially in those more like creative, uninhibited ways. Um, and so I really wanted to play make-believe. Um, and I think the the resurgence of D&D um, speaks to the fact that I think we all do have this impulse, whether it's like live action role play, LARP, whether it's D&D, I think like playing is such a fundamentally human thing and creating stories collaboratively is such a fundamentally human thing um, that I just thought it sounded really fun. As our glorious DM, how do you create the narrative? Okay, so this might come as a huge disappointment and I apologize in advance, but there are what are called modules that you can play that are pre-written stories that have like the combat laid out um, and you can take whatever liberties you want to one way or another within um, the world but they definitely like lay the groundwork and I've never DM'd before Um, and especially given that we wanted to play soon I didn't have like months to prep or anything I thought the easiest shortest distance between two points was to go on D&D Beyond and just get a module Um, so 
the one that I am doing for you all now is Ghosts of the Salt Marsh. Um, and so like the haunted house that we've been exploring so far, um, all the combat encounters have been laid out for me previously, which has honestly been really helpful because like you could get lost for hours in a monster manual, just looking at like what is the appropriate level for our level one characters to fight and is it going to be an overwhelming encounter and trying to balance that, that you can just really get bogged down that I thought it was just the easiest way of doing things. For people who haven't played before, I mean, I, I had no idea when I asked you to be the DM that it would be as labor intensive. I had listened to some D&D podcast and it always just sounded very free flowing and like it was something that was made spur of the moment. And um, that's definitely not the case. There's a lot of preparation, a lot of word, world building, creating additional characters. So it's a lot of hard work and we appreciate that. No, uh, and it's, it's fun. It's very fulfilling. But yeah, I mean, it, it is a lot of like prep work on your own. Yeah. We know that you're involved in another campaign where you're not the DM, you mm -hmm. are a participant, um, an adventurer. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your character and what drew you to her qualities? Yes, so I am playing in another campaign that I've been playing with with some friends since like October, I believe. Um, so we've been doing it pretty regularly for quite a few months now. Um, and my character in that campaign is Iris. I've grown very attached to her. She is a human fighter, which I realize is like very basic. Um, it's kind of like the simplest class you can make. But I joined as the third person in the campaign and we already had a rogue and a cleric. And I was like, frankly, to balance it out, you need some muscle. So I thought playing a fighter was just like the most logical compliment to them. Um, and she's fun. She is very reckless um and very like always down for a good scuffle and and really eager to fight um but she's also got this very sunny disposition um and you know almost like pollyanna-ish levels of like refuses to kind of be bogged down by anything and really has a good nature um and a lot of enthusiasm and excitement about everything um and the fun part is that, you know, I gave her a tragic backstory because frankly, if you're making a D&D character and you don't give them a tragic backstory, you're doing it wrong. I'm just saying. Her village that she grew up in, she grew up in a very small town. She'd kind of never been outside of it. Everyone she knew was in this village, got raided by a traveling, like, violent band of orcs, and she ended up being the only survivor, and she lost basically everyone she knew in a night. I think the reason that I picked her was I looked at the media that I consume and I consume like an absurd amount of media. I like cram fiction into my brain as fast as I possibly can. And I thought like, what qualities do I like in characters? What do I like to see? And I like characters who are reckless. I think that's fun. And I like characters who are very optimistic and upbeat, um, but kind of have that masking a very like, tough underside of them. Um, and more than anything else, I don't know if this is going to make sense as I say it out loud, but one of the things that I find most meaningful in fiction is characters who basically refuse to be corrupted by their suffering. Like I like characters who suffer tremendously and still manage like not to let that overwhelm them and still manage to be like kind and good and brave and heroic despite that all. And so I was just kind of thinking that over and like what tropes and elements do I like to see in characters and that kind of informed how I created mine. That's so beautiful, Liv. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thanks. I love so much. Um, I, I, I love the way that you said like not corrupted by their suffering. I don't know. Just the way you said it was really cool. Thanks. I've asked Sarah this before, but do you feel like your character Iris is a bit of 
like a fulfillment of an alter ego because my character definitely is. Mm, yeah. I mean, she definitely is like, I think me on steroids. Um, I think I tend to be a very like upbeat and enthusiastic person in my day-to-day life. A lot of my work friends roast me for it all the time. Um, and she's kind of like a very extreme version of that. And I think she's a lot tougher than I am, frankly. Um, and so it's kind of fun to play out that like wish fulfillment fantasy of like, ooh, this is who I would ideally like to be in my elaborately constructive daydream universe. Um, so yeah, she very much is, is kind of an extension of certain aspects of my personality. A lot of time, the kind of like fantasy um, nerd culture world is, is really male dominated. Um, so how has your experience as a player and gamer uh, been in that world? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, my campaign that I'm playing in as a player, not as a DM, I am the only woman and there are like five guys or something, um, but they're very cool and there's never been any instances of like bad behavior and sexual harassment, which is something that I've actually seen people talk about online. There are like some women who are in these really male dominated campaigns who end up being the subject of some like really not cool behavior. Um, so I know that it exists, um, but I've never encountered it. The guys I play with are extremely awesome. Um, and I also think it's so interesting that like the general cultural notion of D&D is that it's male dominated because at least what I've seen in these very like online fan spaces that I'm active in um, is that the stereotype is that you play D&D if you're gay. Like that is very much the, what I have seen is like, yeah, all gay people play D&D. Um, and so I just think it's interesting. Um, I really am like a nerd about fan culture history in a weird way. Um, and I think something we see like in any history is that women's histories don't get told. And so if you look back from like ye olden days of like fan culture, women were kind of always doing something usually adjacent to men um, that just didn't get as much attention. Like if you go back, now I'm really like being a nerd here about this stuff, but I do love it. Um, if you go back to like the 1960s and Star Trek, like Star Trek was something that was watched by housewives and like you were, it was like a lame girly show. Um, and it was like housewives writing in to save it and keep it on the network that like kept Star Trek being made. Um, I know I love this stuff. I just think it's delightful. So I think like women have kind of always been a presence and always have often been a driving force of nerd culture and fan culture. And they just don't get any airtime because that's kind of how it goes when you tell history. I think that was a really great explanation and nice. it makes me feel even like prouder of our campaign yeah. We are walking beside the women who have supported it for years. Women have been writing about D&D and taking up the mantle of supporting it, creating books about it, creating content about it for years, at least since the 80s. There have been series written about it, driven by women. I think definitely labeling it as male-dominated is the image that we have in popular culture and certainly the image that I had going into it, even with like an understanding of of women's history. Um, and so I, I'm really glad that we can become this part of this, this legacy that is upholding it and kind of resisting these sexist stereotypes at the same time. Yeah. I totally agree. Like being part of the counter narrative while also like retelling it as well. As a DM, and you talked about this a little bit before, but 
um, you know, besides the module, in the moment, how do you decide the fates of the characters? You know, when someone rolls a six or something and you have to make a quick decision, um, how, how does that come to mind? How do you envision the characters? Do you have a parameter for deciding, like, good luck, bad luck, and deciding the characters' fates? So that's interesting. For some things, they, okay, so a DC is a difficulty class, and that is the role that you have to get higher than in order to, like, pass the whatever, the save, the check. I realize I'm talking a lot of, like, jargon here, but when you guys were walking by the trap door and you had to roll to make sure that you didn't succumb to the spell that was involved. I knew what the difficulty class was was for that ahead of time. I think it was like a 12 off the top of my head. Um, but if there are things in the moment where I haven't previously determined what the DC should be, I usually just like make one up in my head as things happen. And then if you pass or fail based on what like in those 10 seconds it took you to roll, I decided would be an appropriate DC and you kind of get a sense for what those should be um, the more you play. And then in terms of like the narrative, I think something that is not fun for players is what's referred to as like railroading where, you know, you lay down tracks and you kind of expect your players to like go at that speed in that direction on that path you've laid for them, which I don't think is my job as a DM. I think it's to facilitate your game and your experience and the story you want to tell and I'm just kind of like holding up and supporting that. So for example, in our last campaign, the biggest plot twist, I suppose, is that a NPC who you had found in the house um, ended up turning on you all and kind of revealing this, this other side that frankly y'all had suspected all along but kind of didn't have any concrete proof for. And I didn't intend it to happen when it happened, but when Clara's character Boris chucked a hand axe at him, I was like, okay, now, now is the time that this, that this would reasonably make sense. Like the players have made a choice and they're reacting in this way. So like responding to that, I think, and letting the players kind of take the reins is really important. I can see how that can be like really complicated in the sense of what you're saying, how it kind of like threw all your plans up in mm-hmm. the air, like at that moment. And you have to have some sort of improv how do you say this? Improvisational? <laughs> Improvisational skills, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really think that is, uh, if you want to be like a good DM and you want to have your players have a fun campaign, like you've got, you can't be married to the script and you've got to be willing to like roll with what they do because at times players will like act completely out of left field and you will not see things coming. Um, and I think if you're a good DM, you'll roll with that and you'll kind of let them take the lead. How do you feel like, D&D and just role-playing fantasy in general fit into your life? Like, are they a means of escaping reality or making reality feel more fulfilling and satisfying, all of the above, or something else entirely? So I was actually talking to an online friend last night about, like, graduating from college and being in your early 20s is hard. Like, I think we have this very romanticized notion of your early 20s is going to be like what you see on Friends, which is blatantly untrue. Like, it's very lonely and it's hard and you're usually making no money and it's just kind of like a weird isolating time. And so I was talking to this friend and basically telling her that like, when my real life has in a lot of ways gone to shit, whether that's like 
work problems or whatever else. Um, I feel like my online life is this kind of escape and this sort of um, way of like still finding fulfillment and enjoyment um, even when like real life at times sucks. And I think now given our the pandemic and the situation, it's, it's truer than ever. Um, and I think D&D is very similar to that. Um, you know, if you can go into a world where you feel like you have more agency and you feel like you have more control and you feel like you can basically be a superhero for a couple of hours, um, I think that is something most of us need um, just based on like the struggles you deal with day to day. And so for me, it's this very nice respite and this kind of like safe, comfortable, fun place where I can go um, when other things might not be like turning out the way I wanted them to. Do you think that like a big part of that, of you saying that it's a respite and it's a place where you can turn, but also kind of be a different version of yourself or work out things that are going on in your life, but also distract from things going on in your life. Do you feel like community is a big part of that where you can safely interact with people and share these elements of yourself with an audience, but also with friends? Yeah, no, I, I really would. Um, and I think maybe your point was really well made earlier about um, kind of reconnecting um, with college friends. I mean, I hadn't talked to Abby and Alana in forever. And so it was really, really cool to to see them again. And yeah, I think, you know, like you were saying, campaigns can last years. I mean, depending on how things happen and how things are run. And so I think having that regular social interaction and that sense of community um, and like sending funny, you know, D&D memes to my like group chat of the campaign that I'm playing with. Um, I think, yeah, we, we really do need that. And we need that sense of connection and community. Yes, I I really relate to that too because it's it's definitely become something that I look forward to and kind of increases my like social battery after I have you know some social interaction. For our final question for you, do you see any connections between D and D and religion slash spirituality um, in your experiences or just in general? Okay, I feel like this is going to be a longish answer, so bear with me. I promise this is going somewhere that makes sense. So I grew up in an interfaith household. My dad is Catholic and my mom is Jewish, and I kind of had this sort of wacky interfaith upbringing. And I frankly think as a result of that, I don't have any very concrete religious beliefs. That being said, I love reading and studying and discussing religious texts. Because to me, like the most interesting questions to ask about religion and spirituality are not like, do you believe in God? Like, frankly, to me, that's just like a very boring and uninteresting question and like not the point. And to me, it's much more about like, based on this text, can we come together as a community and can we make some sort of meaning and can we find some sort of like purpose and fulfillment and way to make the world better? I am not a Christian, but like, I love the Christian Bible because I feel like there are so many valuable messages that it doesn't require believing that like Jesus is the son of God to look at those texts and look at those stories and like find something valuable in them. This is where it gets to D&D, I promise. But I feel very similarly about fictional texts, you know, whether that is a chapter of a manga that I read like a year and a half ago that literally changed my life. It doesn't necessarily mean that I believe that what happened in that manga is true, but I think you can still find and derive meaning 
from texts um, solely based not on any kind of higher connection that you might have to a god or or anything but just like in that they're valuable texts and so i see it very similarly with D. i mean if you play D and get messages of like doing the right thing and you know protecting people who need protection and you know remaining determined and resolute in the face of obstacles or whatever um i think to me I read religious texts and I read fictional texts much the same. And I think it kind of comes down to like, what meaning can I find from this? Um, and how can I use that to make my everyday real life more fulfilling and, um, and do more good in the world? And so at least for me that I see them as very analogous in that way. Oh, that was beautiful, Liv. I <laughs> <laughs> You're making us cry. Oh, Max. <laughs> no, I, I truly feel that though. I, I think there are so many moments in D and D where you have to be resilient, um, and you have to push through combat and struggles, especially when you're at your weakest. And for me, I've loved every time that I'm down, <laughs> that I'm hit, that I'm at zero. Um, I can rely on a friend to to pull me back up and mm-hmm. to save me and to heal me. Um, and I think those are moments where I really feel like the humanity within the characters. Even though they're not real, they're our imagination. Mm-hmm. Many of us aren't even humans in, in the story. <laughs> like you still, you still feel that humanity. And I also think like for me during COVID personally, it's been, it's been difficult to attend religious services because just I get distracted or I get tired, I get Zoom fatigue. I'm, I'm just not with it. But for some reason, for this game, it really feels like going to church or being in a mm-hmm. circle, like a community, because we are reading this game, I think, in a sacred way. And it reminds me of the podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, where you're- Oh, I love that one. That, too, but you're taking something that is very secular and you're making it meaningful, um, very personal, but also based in community. And you're analyzing different values and you're thinking about larger questions that apply to your life and to humanity and to the universe through simply your imagination, the imagination of others. I don't know. I completely agree with you. And I think having the element of the spooky and, um, <laughs> and religion and gods also, um, also adds to that entire feel. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, in my game, a couple sessions back, um, we have a cleric who is very religious. Like when he preps his spells every morning, he does that by praying. And so we actually had this like little tangent about prayer and God and faith, like in character as we were traveling between cities. And it was just like this incredible moment of like true discussion and exploration of like, what it means to pray and why a person might do that and and do you feel like someone's listening that like happened in this broader kind of like and we're fighting a night hag in the middle of the spooky forest like it was it was just such an interesting moment um that i do think dnd yeah because it does have gods and um faith that you can follow i think it really does lend itself to that well should we get into a little bit about the multiverse setting of D&D and how religion ties into that. Let's do it. Okay, so many for people who haven't played D&D or have played and just aren't sure about all the different characters. So um, characters, specifically their their class and their race and a combination of both, they can have religious ties to deities, to nature, to spiritual things. They can pray, like Liv said. Um, They can call upon a god for good or for evil. 
um, some of the, you know, character building that I'm thinking about uh, when it comes to religion can be dwarves who often have gods, um, clerics, and I'm taking this from the D&D handbook, so I'm sorry, <laughs> D&D handbook, <laughs> clerics who are priestly champions and wield divine magic to serve a higher power, um, druids who are priests of the old faith and they wield the power of nature. Um, this kind of reminded me, so I'm on a bit of a Merlin kick and just like Arthurian stuff in general, mm -hmm. but like the old religion compared to the new religion um, and just in like very, very basic like stereotypical boiled down senses like the old faith being a little bit more pagan compared to um like a new faith or a new religion which is christian or judeo-christian in quotes um but it's really not because D, D also has elements of like norse mythology and egyptian mythology and so they really take from different parts of the world and different religions but just in this context of the druid that's kind of how i conceptualize it again because i'm reading it through a merlin brain um you also have monks who are masters of martial arts. Um, they harness the power of their body in pursuit of physical and spiritual perfection. A paladin who's a holy warrior bound to a sacred oath. So they're on a mission, but they have this, um, this religion in the back of their mind. And then a warlock who I would love to play a warlock one day. Um, wielder of magic that is drawn from a bargain with an entity. So you have all of these different characters whose relationships to religion essentially influences their actions or motivations and their characteristics, which I think is really cool. And I, I love how D&D borrows from different religions and faith systems and myths too. On that subject of the campaign, because our cleric, um, he's really fun and he plays this cleric really well. I mean, he really is like, you know, almost struggles with his faith at times. And like, we sometimes solve things through violence and like, how does he as like a pacifist deal with that? And so when we'll be in a city, often he will seek out if he needs knowledge or information he'll seek out the temple where the other followers of his faith will be. And like, they'll immediately welcome him with open arms because, and I think that's just so true to religion in general, like so much of what you go to it for is community. Um, and so he immediately has this community um, in this temple with these other um, clerics or these other practitioners. And I just, yeah, it's, it's this very authentic moment in an otherwise kind of high fantasy setting. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, like, how characters can interact with gods. I mean, they can be motivated to do violence or motivated to do a certain form of justice based on their beliefs and also call upon the gods to help them in their quest. Um, they may make an offering for good fortune or pray for a good harvest or um, say, please save me and my crew <laughs> during this particularly bad storm. And so I think the ways that people can use religion, a D&D &D game, can really reflect kind of like the stereotypes about religion. Um, like, for example, there's, I think, a difference between like praying and trying to sort out your faith in a personal matter and then doing kind of like a God call calling in a moment of desperation. So I think it's interesting how D&D &D it's kind of emblematic of how humans and mythology and literature and sacred text have grappled with the questions of, of God and of the universe and spirituality in ways that are, you know, good in quotes and also in bad. So I think it's a very meditative process of incorporating religion into D&D &D, just as a text and then wielding that for yourself and your character. Mm -hmm. 
I really like what you said too about the ways in which gods and religion are used in D&D because you said it is definitely sometimes how people actually construct their religion. Like if I do X, my God or whatever will give me what I want and kind of like this marketplace interaction, which personally, I, I mean like for a narrative thing, great. I love it. It works super well. You know, that like negotiation of like, like what can you give a God who already has everything um, to give you something in return? At least for my faith, I feel like that's something that I've had to personally work. Like my faith is not a vending machine that I can pour a quarter in and then get my Cheez-Its out of because that's what I wanted at the moment. But I don't know. That's just what I was thinking of. That kind of like marketplace religion that you know, works well for a narrative, but maybe not so well for actual people. One of the things that interests me, like Warlock, to make a very explicit bargain, there are often consequences to that. So the Warlock in our campaign is affiliated with wild magic, and I don't know the exact mechanics of that, but often when he casts a wild magic spell, he will have to roll the dice to see what the consequences of that are. And so in one of our sessions, all of his hair fell out for 24 hours. So it's very interesting that like when you do that very explicit transactional stuff with gods and D&D, there are quite frequently consequences for that. I love that because your your fate is in the hands of the dice. Your fate is in the hands of your DM and the other characters. And there's so much unknown about how your actions will influence your future. And even if you think what you're doing is the right thing, it might end up the opposite. It might actually come back to haunt you or bite you. Um, so I, I also feel like that is an important element of just reality and the human condition um, that is explored in D&D. And I also love how religion kind of intertwined with different elements of the natural and the spiritual world and just the very human world. You see it in like life domain, death domain. Um, You have gods who belong to winter and the hunt and magic and storms. And it's also really, I just feel like that is an important element of how religion, spirituality, connection to other humans, connection to the universe, you can find it in so many different realms of your own life and how it's so interwoven throughout the fabric of our world. It's fun to play in the game, but I I often find myself kind of thinking about these questions in the real world and thinking about them through this lens of D&D at the same time. Mm -hmm. Your point about how your fate is at, you know, quote unquote, will of the dice and the DM and your other characters definitely pushes back against this narrative that, at least for the characters, that any of them are like, self-made individuals because they all interact they're interacting with the environment around them with the community around them with like the people in their campaign and that also can serve hopefully as a microcosm to see like you're not in this alone everything that you do has consequences and everything that you are is because of things that have happened around you and like you are part of like a greater collective but maybe did you want to talk about your decision to be a druid what drew you to that and what drew you to the specifics of your character oh yes i would love to so my character's name is alira she is a half elf and a druid um so at the time that i was creating the character i was still kind of on like a witcher high (laughs) um and so i think some of my inspiration from that definitely drew from that series and the television show where they have druids, where they have monsters, where 
they have elves who are being kind of hunted and persecuted by larger forces. And so while I was thinking about that, I wanted to create a character who would go through similar circumstances, particularly as a druid. I love the idea of not serving just one god or like a group of gods, but really being part of nature and harnessing that. And I I also, as a half-elf, my character lives between two worlds and she's kind of shadowy. Um, she's kind of reserved. She has both the good and the bad of both of those races. And so she's very complex and maybe a little bit misunderstood, a little bit reserved, but also very strong because of the circumstances that she's been in and kind of the outcasting nature that she has. What about you, Sarah? You have a very different character, but a really awesome character. Oh, geez. Okay, yes. So my character, her name is Bean. (laughs) She is a human rogue. I didn't expect this until I started playing it, but she has, at least I hope she has become, kind of like a comic relief (laughs) Mm -hmm. of, of the campaign, which I find... I think is like very necessary and just like in my life to have like comic relief. Um, I think for me, she like kind of serves that. But if we were to put her on a spectrum, she would definitely be like chaotic good. She doesn't really have like any religious affiliation. I think she's like spiritual, but not religious. Yeah, she's just kind of like a, a Robin Hood, rogue, chaotic good kind of character that not by choice, but because of the roll of the dice is sometimes ditzy and doesn't always <laughs> do what she wants to do, <laughs> what she intended on doing, and like uh, sometimes misses the mark on things, but is like very well-intentioned and like cares for people. But I think she's definitely kind of to some extent serves as somewhat of an alter ego. Like she's definitely more bold than I am. Like I wish I could be as bold as Bean. Definitely more kick-ass. but other than that I think like we share some like similar characteristics so yeah well and something that's been so special for me as the DM is to watch your characters like learn to trust and accept each other um because if you think way way back to our first session um nobody wanted to work together and I actually love that because I think it's often a mistake that new players make is one, they're like, yes, let's form a band and a party and they haven't necessarily done anything to earn that. Two, they will just like dump their backstory with absolutely no prompting, which is not something anyone does in real life. Um, But I love that you all were so hesitant to trust each other at first and you were very suspicious. And then watching you all now have to save each other in battle and protect each other and finding that trust and common ground because all of your characters are so different and have these really strong personalities has just been such a delight to watch. I think, you know, to kind of put a more theological bow or bent to all of this, I think there's a lot of, like Liv said before, like a lot of spiritual kind of takeaways that that we can have from this game. Um, I think for me, like one of them is kind of this community building element and how important it is to have like collective effort, right? Like, like I said before, like you're not in it alone. Like it, you need everyone to, to defeat the monsters. Those around you contribute to who you become. 
if you split the party up, that's usually a bad idea and monsters will come and get you. This element of you don't abandon one another, um, which I think is something that at least I think kind of in the, I don't know if they would say it exactly like that, but at least in the church, there's a lot of like, you know, collective work going on and, and this idea that it takes everyone to solve these problems that we have. When I started playing, it really reminded me of the theology of play and how playfulness and joy and that kind of expression of, I don't know, serving a greater purpose through community is what really reminded me of D&D and especially our campaign, because there are a lot of moments of hardship, but I think no matter what, we're always giggling and trying to make the most out of it. Um, and yeah, so that reminded me of Theology of Play, which came from a book by Yuran Moltmann in 1972. I don't know if it was coined before this, but um, I know that it's been kind of in like the theological jargon um, since then, at least. And basically, he argues that the theology of play is kind of this profound and mysterious paradigm shift from the adult values of working, of seriousness, of kind of trudging on with life and, you know, undoing that and really recognizing the necessity of freedom and spontaneity and this goal of becoming more childlike for the enjoyment of a greater purpose, or if you're thinking of it in a theological sense, enjoyment as a way of serving, worshiping a God from a lot of gospel. And I know that this has actually been kind of <laughs> emerging in at least Presbyterian and Reformed communities, the theology of play. Um, last year, a group of people that I know who are Presbyterian, they did um, theology of play convention. So they basically just kind of hold up in the mountains or not the mountains, in the forest of um, Oregon. <laughs> and they just played for like a week and they were just in a cabin and having fun. And they they felt that it was very spiritual and also kind of this religious calling in order to be in community where you're, yeah, emulating God's playfulness and creation and returning to this kind of like, <laughs> Sarah looks stunned. <laughs> this like childlike simplicity. <laughs> Um, and this isn't like a new thing. This is not just a 1970s thing. Um, commentators on the Hebrew Bible, like Johann Gottfried von Herder, um, has these kind of commentators, critics who are so emblematic of understanding the Hebrew Bible, um, believe that the scripture should be unrestrained, spontaneous, childlike, free, um, which is a very like romantic notion, but it's also very rooted in Reformed theology. Like Calvin talked about that all goodness comes from God and that providence has a secret plan that's eventually going to um, liberate us and make our lives worth living. And so when you're thinking about, I don't know, the theology of play, it just seems like everything you're doing is, in a sense... Um, for a greater purpose and also trying to get good from the world while you're putting out goodness. Um, and like Schleier Maher and um, Bart and all these other reformed people have also written about the childlike simplicity as a way of worshiping God. So yeah, while, while we were researching and like thinking about this episode, I just kept going back to the theology of the theology of play. I that's all I want in life is just to play games and goof around with my friends (laughs) but anyway no I really loved all of that and it just reminded me 
also of the the saying of like the chief aim of humankind is enjoy God and worship God and just the fact of like taking taking delight in something you know it's like very childlike kind of has a sense of innocence to it I I'd never heard of theology of play before you brought it up um but I really love that I think that's it's so beautiful but something else that I was kind of thinking about was D&D as almost as like the body of Christ because like it can bring people together who are, you know, not, who are very different, bring people together who aren't even in, you know, same city, same state, um, or even the same country, and just have this, like, unifying kind of source, and kind of gives, you know, identity to each other. But also to kind of piggyback off what you said about play, is, like, this idea of imagination as a spiritual gift that, God gave us imagination to use and, and to enjoy and to not only, you know, like in play, but also to create in, in the game world and in like real life, a better world that, you know, is one could say, you know, be very PCUSA or UCC and be like, bring about a more equitable, just world for people. Um, but even just a more joyful, colorful, creative world. I think that's so true. And I also think just if you have a great DM like our sweet live, then you're also going to have an opportunity where, yes, there will be consequences for your actions, but I think there's a whole lot of grace in D&D too. Like you have the freedom to take risks without um, suffering permanent damage. Like you're not probably going to die um, permanently and just kind of like ghostly watch the rest of your <laughs> the rest of your people in your campaign. Um, I mean, you might have like a cruel D&D who makes you do that or gives you dysentery or cholera or something, but I think the chance of that is probably going to be low. Um, so yeah, I- That's just Oregon I, Trail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, but I just had to say that. That's why I was saying dysentery. I was like, oh. <laughs> so it's not Oregon Trail. D&D is very different. There's no grace in Oregon Trail. Mm-mm, no grace, no forgiveness. Like, lose a wheel and then all your you, uh you die. horses die or whatever yeah D gives you the ability to take risks in a in a safe place and contemplate the world at large through characters of your own imagination i like that that's beautiful i love that you put in grace in D. very presbyterian of you my mom called me in the middle of me playing D one time so i just like picked up the phone I was like sorry can't talk and then put it down and then i talked to her afterwards, I called her back and she was like, so who won D&D today? And I kind of had to explain that like, it's not, you don't win. Um, and, and I like that about it so much because to me, more than anything else, D&D is a form of collaborative storytelling. Um, and that is, my favorite sorts of games are not, are ones you play collaboratively. Like Forbidden Island is my favorite tabletop game because you play together against the game rather than like against each other. Um, and I think if you've got a good DM, you never feel like it's adversarial. You don't feel like you're playing against the DM and you're both like trying to kill each other. Um, and that I think is what it appeals to me about it so much as a game is that there are no winners and losers. You're just kind of like going on this adventure together. Liv, can you tell the story about one of your most prized possessions? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> this is not really related to anything, but... Um, I hadn't seen my older sister in a little while um, and my birthday is in July and we saw each other in November for Thanksgiving and she said she had a gift to give me for my birthday like several months late. 
and it turns out she lives in the Raleigh Durham area and she's very involved in like kind of a swap community in Durham to like you know reuse things and give things to people who might not otherwise people who won't don't want them give them to people who might have a good use for them um and so she went to a guy's house and he was like I have all these books I need to get rid of and the condition was if you bring these books to a donation place you first get to go through them and see if there's anything you want to keep and so my sister brought me from this like man's house that she just happened upon totally for free a first edition Dungeons Masters guide. The copyright date is 1979. And it's so funny. It like the cover is this big demonic devil looking guy holding this like poor, very not super clad in clothes woman um, on the cover. It's hysterical. Um, and it's not my coffee table book. It like sits on my coffee table because like there's no better coffee table book to have. I love, I love that, that so much. much. Well, thank you so much, Liv, for being here. You have given yes. us so much wisdom and inspiration and insight. We really yes. appreciate your time. We love this you so much. Soon. Love you both. <laughs> thank you, Liv. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate you sticking with us and listening to all the shenanigans that we have. Don't forget to check out Motion. She's the one who did our intro music and outro music and don't forget to check us out on facebook and instagram at mystics and molder we also have a website and uh, a well curated tumblr in my opinion so look for us there yeah if you have any questions feel free to dm us or send us an email thanks again for listening bye, bye.